Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. Today, we'll be taking a look at Sam Allardyce and discussing whether he's underrated as a coach or has been overhyped by coaches and the press. We'll also take a look at whether he's the man to take the baggies back to the Prem if they do fall. If you listen to this, they might have already fallen down to the Championship, but as things stand, they haven't. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Cheers. Good afternoon. How are you? A different intro. Uh, why'd you go with the good afternoon? Uh, well, it's you know just mix things up, you know, keep people on the toes. Oh, nice, no, good change up. Thanks for, <laughs> for sharing. <laughs> thanks for sharing the reasoning. No, I'm good, thanks. Uh, it's a bit grey today. Um, it's going to, yeah, it's not. It's not great weather. Um, so yeah, not much to report on that side. So obviously, was pretty sad after the Europa League campaign from the Gunners uh, mm-hmm. midweek. Uh, close to tears, but obviously the rain uh, managed to to hide my tears. Up, so that was, that was pretty good. Apart from that, not much else to report. I'm going to stop there talking about Arsenal because otherwise I go on a massive rant about everything wrong about the club <laughs> and uh, how I want the club to dissolve. So I'll leave it there. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. I missed that game actually. And what I was watching at the same time, which was actually really powerful and really sad, was the Ian Wright documentary on BBC. Um, oh, really? Would you uh, give it out of 10? Home Truths. Uh, I'd give it like an eight out of ten. It was really, really, really interesting about his like his childhood and like uh, child abuse and stuff, abuse in the in the household, domestic abuse. It was really powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we don't normally start a pod with such um, I don't know serious powerful messages, but it was it was really. I'd implore people to watch it. It was really, really sad and really eye opening because I'd seen. Do you remember that clip on? It was it went did the rounds on Twitter and social media where he's on the stands. I think he's still playing, and then like his old teacher. Um, uh, comes down to basically to meet him because Ian Wright thought he died. Um, and he basically obviously comes down and surprises him. Look, I'm alive. <laughs> and this guy was a massive role model because he suffered abuse at home by his stepfather and his, his mother. So I was, I remember seeing that years ago and not really understanding the context really. So yeah, but powerful, powerful stuff to start the, uh, the podcast, but to kick things off on the big Sam Allardyce etches, why this episode today? Uh, well, I just think, uh, you know, West Brom uh, have had some decent results recently and also have lost a few as well and, and seem destined for relegation. You know, my boy, Maitland-Niles, who mm. doesn't actually know I'm alive or exist on this earth. <laughs> we, we are we are boys. Um, is you know, been playing there, been playing quite well. Unfortunately, he's probably going to miss it on the Euros. And ages ago, we did a podcast on uh, Slavin Bilic uh, and his time at the club. And he lost his job in the middle of the season. They just drew to City, I believe. Mm. I was annoyed because Kevin De Bruyne was my captain that day on fantasy. <laughs> Same. Yeah, yeah I remember score. that day. And, um, you know, it's one of those things we see quite often in football, right? Where guy get guy gets them promoted. Christmas time, people start getting cold feet because they're in the relegation zone. So they go for what I like to call a firefighter manager who is normally a guy who can see from relegation and can kind of get you to the mid-table mm. sort of level before moving on. And that's kind of uh, Sam Allardyce. Uh, he, he looks like he could lose that tag this season of never being relegated. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to do a podcast on what he represents, right? So many people see his football style as archaic and boring and not fit for purpose. While most recently Pep Guardiola called him a genius for keeping sides in the prem. So I kind of wanted to see which side of the coin he really falls on. And also more importantly, what happens to him next should West Brom go down? I mean, if you're, you know, if, if you're Swansea or someone else and, you know, you 
get promoted or Bournemouth get promoted and you're in that same situation at Christmas and yeah. you look for someone to turn to, if you've if Sam Allardyce has now got that blot in his book, which is, oh, he got relegated with West Brom, you know, will this affect his career going forward? Does he want to go into the championship and manage there? You know, it's a very difficult league. So that's kind of why I wanted to look into. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen a number of teams go down, keep their managers, and it's actually been better for them in the long run as opposed to, you know, as you said, getting cold feet and sacking your manager, I recall at Sunderland, I'll have no no apologies today for referencing Sunderland, given Aldice's time there, which was, you know, fairly short, half a season, but we were winless after uh, we were winless after eight games and he came in and did a remarkable job. Um but he was actually on a two year deal with us and he then went to England after that season. Mm-hmm. And to your points, you know, Sunderland were already, you know, on a spiral to an extent we were in debt, you know, we had manager after manager, year on year on year, this revolving door. But had he stayed, so many fans have wondered what might have been because like he had did build a, a good a good side. So he made like unknown signings such as Wabi Kazri, Lamine Kone, um, who was linked <laughs> ironically for uh, to West Brom for like 15 million at one point from Sunderland. Uh, he brought in Jan Kirchhoff from Bayern Munich, um, who now is, you know, nowhere, no idea where he is now, but these all played vital roles in survival. Jan and Veer, there's another one. He was exceptional. One of the best players I've seen play really? uh, for Sunderland. He was exceptional. He was linked to a, he was linked to Arsenal, wasn't he? He was. Uh, many years. So many, so many players are obviously linked to Arsenal. So it doesn't really narrow that one down. But I think all the all the Sunderland fans are wondering what would have happened had he you know, kept that team because when he left and Moyes came in, a lot of these players seem to no longer want to play for the, the club. It seems like they were almost playing for Allardyce. Um, then when he left, it just became even more of a mess, and we ended up relegated. And then. Then relegated again. So yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's. Sunderland got relegated back. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sunderland got relegated back to back. You haven't told me that before. All oh, right, I thought you were actually having a serious question there, but yeah, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of moving on to Big Sam's history. Um, you know, he was, there's quite some interesting facts about him, actually. So he played uh, 578 uh, league appearances over a 21 year mm. career. I didn't actually know if he played uh, football. Um, I didn't actually know uh, that he played. I, yeah. I only knew that because he played for Sunderland. If he'd not played for Sunderland, I didn't. So I didn't know he played for Bolton, for example. It makes, I mean, it makes sense, but um, I didn't know he was like such a journeyman of a player. No, neither did I. I mean, there are a lot of players who actually played ball and you don't actually realise. And he kind of gives off that air of, I was a very, I was a really aggressive centre-back. <laughs> so the more I think about it, like Sean Dyche, have you seen Sean Dyche play ball? No, but I can imagine that so much. I mean, he's the perfect example, uh, not to take track from what we're talking about, but he's a perfect example of a manager that, you know, was relegated with the club, came back. But then, yeah, he would have definitely been the hardest of hard centre-halves. It's the way he speaks. I bet he's a lovely guy, but the way he speaks... It's just... He must have swallowed some nails or something because his voice is absolutely... <laughs> there's, a video, there's a video online of him leathering a penalty straight down the middle, centre-back oh, style. Yeah, yeah you, can't, you can't kick a football with the inside of your foot, man, if you're, if you're short and uh, otherwise, we'll call you soft. Um, mm. Right, so moving back on to Allardyce. So yeah, uh, played 578 appearances over uh, a 21-year career uh, across the Football League. You're right at Bolton as well. He also ventured into North America briefly, mm. uh, which becomes relevant later. Uh, he then moved into management, t- taking charge of Limerick in 1991, um, w- leading the club to the League of Ireland First Division, which is the second tier title in 91-92. He returned to coach uh, at Preston North End as a youth coach, which is interesting. Can't really imagine Allardyce coaching youngsters. <laughs> I don't know why. I can like, I just imagine him making the under 14s doing press ups all the time. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he he worked at Preston North End briefly as a youth coach. His first permanent role was at Blackpool, which I do remember. I had an old flatmate who was a Blackpool fan. He used to tell me all the time uh, in 1994. Oh, I thought he... you said you were going to remember it. I was going to say, you've been one years old when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, missing on the telly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he got sacked uh, after two years, after narrowly failing to achieve promotion. And then mm. in 97 to 99, he was in charge of Notts County, taking them to the third division title in 97, 98. And then... He went to Bolton Wanderers, where it kind of all began for him, where yeah. he really built his career. I think that's kind of the point where you know he really divided opinion. Uh, in his autobiography, he stated, "I enjoyed being Arsenal more than anyone else when I was in charge at Bolton. Uh, we really got into them, and Arsene Wenger hated us." I think that quote there wasn't just shared by you know Wenger. I think he shared by a lot of managers because during that time where he was mostly Man United and Arsenal fighting for leagues and Liverpool as well, he was a very frustrating character to to try and get the better of, and he was very successful. Yeah, and Wenger was also like, he, he loved having a war of words with managers. I mean, yeah, sort of, sort of many, sort of many top managers. So he's, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt, I think. Like, even what Aldice is saying, because it, it's just kind of tongue in cheek and it is just designed, you know, before the game and sometimes after in preparation for the next time. So it's kind of unsettle one another and each team. Because, like, I mean, Wenger strikes me as being someone who, I mean, he's a pragmatist. He's like Guardiola. Guardiola refers to Aldice as a genius. I think Wenger would speak positively of Aldice and what he's achieved. Um, in terms of keeping clubs in the Premier League and what he did at Bolton. Um, because, I mean, he's, he's how many seasons has Aldai's coached in the Premier League? Countless. On, on that note as well, uh, with, with Wenger, I think something which needs to be addressed is the best managers or successful managers are the worst losers by far. So mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff with the pinch of salt is, is 100% right because your Wengers, your Ferguson, your Guardiola, your Marinos, they love crying after a loss. Mm. Even Klopp, everyone loved Klopp. And then, you know, yeah, this season... Yeah, he's the best example, yeah. Yeah, this season, obviously, it's not gone well for Liverpool. I know he's had some personal issues, but, you know, when any successful manager starts losing, they are terrible to listen to. Yeah, what I didn't like about Klopp was the, the Brighton game when I think Brighton got a penalty... Well, they got a quite basically got a goal as a result of VAR. I can't recall what the goal was, mm. but he was like, so the Sky reporter was um, asking a question about the penalty. Yeah, it was a penalty, and then he replied, "Go, what do you think?" Like being really condescending and really aggressive back to the reporter. Don't argue mm. with the reporter, man. Yeah, I know what you mean. Sometimes reporters do love one in them up though. But mm. yeah, I kind of kind of back onto Allardyce. I think one of the things I really found out about his career when I was researching him was. He wasn't, he was more than just a long ball manager, basically. So, you know, his, his bottom team was physical and direct, but, you know, loads of, uh, that was during a time in the Premier League where there was a massive continental style, where we had managers like Wenger and Julio who were finding success. And yeah. I think Adidas came through at a time where the stock of English managers is very low. The national team was uh, coached by foreigners during that time as well in uh, Sven Goran Eriksson towards the latter end. And then obviously after that, Fabio Capello, but mm the English manager stock was quite low. And I think Allardyce was kind of a testament to that, where if you wanted to have this new continental style that was all the rave and was seen to be the only way you could be successful, you had to uh, adopt that style. Um, but, you know, if he's a genius at keeping people up, as uh, Guardiola said, then, you know, that there must be more to it. And, you know, even though Bolton's style um, was very aggressive and, you know, very direct, you know, Big Sam actually worked the transfer market very, very well. 
You know, he mm. signed a lot of talent from Europe who are in the twilights of their careers or just after it. And he was able to get them to perform at the club at a very high level. We're talking JJ Kocha, so good they named him twice. Hidetoshi Nakata, you know, <laughs> even Campo, Fernando Hierro, Jokaev. You know, he's a player, some Champions League winners, World Cup winners. And he managed to get them performing at a high level at Bolton. He made it work. Yeah, like he had a direct style, but he did bring in so much of this talent from abroad that did actually have strong technical ability. I mean, moving almost beyond that, Nicholas Anelka came and played for Bolton. And yeah, signed, I think I believe it was I believe it was El Hadji Juf's first club in the Premier League. Or did he go to Liverpool first? Went Liverpool first. Went Liverpool, Liverpool first. first yeah. yeah, but even him. I mean, he's he was at Sunderland as well. He's such a petty guy, but he was also very technically gifted. So these are actually like all the not most of the players you named, maybe not Campo and Hierro, but are uh, technically gifted footballers. Um, and I remember when we were were younger, and I think I mean I would be quite young then as well, not thinking much of these players being at Bolton under Allardyce. But actually, when you look back at it now, some of these players played at top clubs. I mean, Campo mm. was at um, was at Real Madrid. Yeah. Like the <laughs> coach played for PSG, and for them to then go into a side like Bolton, who um, had already been in the league for so many years, were managed by this supposed dinosaur or cake style manager that is Allardyce. I think is uh, is really interesting. Yeah, massively. I think what set Allardyce apart from his peers at the time, which is why it's so successful, was his consumption of data, mm. or data science in particular. Apparently, Allardyce was laughed at for having such a large backroom staff when he joined Bolton with a host of analysts and scientists he brought in. Uh, he's also one of the first managers to utilise Prozone statistical metrics to help give him the, age, uh, the edge Sorry, in games. JJ Kocak said you couldn't escape stats, Allardyce, <laughs> which sounds hellish in, the, in that example. I don't really want to be involved with it. Uh, in more modern times, during his stint at Sunderland, uh, Paul's tried making a comment about Sunderland. Mm. Uh, Allardyce <laughs> would set his players' homework on iPads as soon as he took over, saying if a player can digest his own statistical information or from the football club in his own time when he's not under any pressure uh, without a coach standing over him, it could potentially help him. Which yeah. is really interesting in terms mm. of, you know, trying to get your points across. Obviously, you need the player to watch it. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think the modern ballers are really into that, but there'll be a few mavericks out there who'll be like, oh, did you watch the data I sent you? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, so statistical analysis and data, data science knowledge, you know, aided by his backroom team, you know, they looked into loads of stuff like recovery, fluid, nutrition, supplements. I don't even know what fluid nutrition properly means, but supplements, massage <laughs> and ice baths, because he believed that all of these could be could give his team the edge in games you know he was also said to be very good at prolonging players careers Kevin Nolan said that's one of the main reasons he managed to keep on playing so well under him because he really looked after his players and when we're talking about the players he mentioned earlier we could even add Gary Speed to that list um you know those are players that probably needed better managing they couldn't play two games a week or two games back to back maybe and he was really good at managing those loads with the teams that he had around him yeah, some of them players were mid-30s when they came in mm. um, and joined the Premier League, which is a really fast-paced league, and it was then. So um, that's definitely a, a massive contributing factor and would have been at the time, particularly. Um, I mean, that sudden fact, I actually didn't know. Um, it's quite obscure, uh, but it makes complete sense, really. I mean, at Bolton, he created a war room. I remember reading that in Mark Cox's The Mixer, which is a fantastic book on um, basically the Premier League years. Um, so he had this war room at the training ground, which had four huge plasma screens um, <laughs> which is like a really old-fashioned, almost old-fashioned way now of describing a, a television screen, but um, like documenting every, document everything from fitness to past completion, all these different metrics. And just like Akocha said, you couldn't escape it. So, I mean, clearly he was innovative for, his, for, for that time and way ahead of his years in terms of using statistical analysis. Because now, as well, I mean, it's such a given that we use data in the game. 
And we look at like Leicester City, for example, which I, miss, I mentioned on so many podcasts, but everyone loves talking about how Leicester utilised data in their recruitment. It's how they picked up players like Kante. But seemingly this is something that Aldice was doing 15 years ago and mm. he was laughed, he was laughed at for doing it. Um, he was laughed at for having so much backroom staff, but that's what clubs have now. Yeah, very much so. I think that the next part of Adelaide's career post uh, Bolton, because he went to Newcastle, I believe, he became something known as a relegation specialist, mm. um, which I don't think, I think I mentioned this later on the pod, you know, I don't really think managers like being known as that, because obviously, you know, all managers aspire to coach at the highest level, but yeah. Big Sam was a specialist at keeping some sides that seemed destined to go down up. You know, he back in 2017, he discussed his relegation blueprint uh, which mm. he said you need to do this to keep clubs up. And what <laughs> I find really interesting about this is that it's so obvious to me and probably to loads of coaches, but, you know, when Big Sam was looking at data analysis and, you know, you look at the analysis of the teams that he took on and coached and how he fixed them, they weren't doing it. So the first mm. point is keep clean sheets. Well, you don't have to be <laughs> smart, <laughs> the smartest guy in the room to realise if you're not keeping clean sheets, you could go down because I, I think that he literally gave the example of like, if you're 1-0 down, you have to score two to score, uh, two to win, sorry, which is very obvious in football. But, you know, it's still the concept that most of the sides at the bottom are shipping two or three goals a game or two goals a game. Obviously, if you need to stay up in, and you're probably already struggling to score goals, it doesn't really help you if you have to score two every time you go one down. Yeah, exactly. And that was that's what Allardyce was going on about. Then give the ball away in your own half. Another one which is pretty obvious. Play the first forward pass was an interesting one, which he put down. You know, we talk about that direct style, but Allardyce is very much about getting that ball from box to box as quickly as possible. Win the second ball, something which I assume a lot of managers want, but maybe don't reiterate or, you know, kind of push because a lot of the teams now are playing, you know, on the, on the ground and are moving it quickly. And it's all about shape and distance and all that sort of stuff. Uh, set pieces are key defensively and offensively. Yeah, look, why can't... Right, this is to everyone listening in. If you answer this question, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you 10 I know it. I know what you're going to say. Why can't <laughs> players beat the first man on a corner? Too many corners, <laughs> right? Look, you're you're getting paid, okay, on average, let's say 30 grand a week. And that's low end in Premier League. I reckon on average it's higher than that. But let's say 30 grand a week is average. 30k a week and you can't get a ball in past the first man. Well, I thought you were going to say, what I did th- think you were going to say is that why don't more sides actually have routines in terms I of... Think, I think they do. I think they do I, now. I, yeah, we possibly do, possibly do now. But like when I watch sides play, so even when we watched England in the World Cup, and suddenly we had these like routines from corners and we scored lots of goals. Why is that taking so long? Why is it taking so the 2018 World Cup for us to start yeah. doing things like that? I just think yeah. it gets overlooked often. Yeah, because Liverpool have a and Arsenal now. We have a set piece specialist. We took Brentford's yeah. set piece specialist. Uh, we we don't score many uh, corners, by the way. FYI, <laughs> just <laughs> disclaimer. But we do. <laughs> Arsenal do have a few routines. They have one where they all stand by the goalkeeper. And they flood out. I've seen that work uh, never. They have another one where I think <laughs> they swing it all the way to the back for a centre half to head towards goal. Normally, Gabriela Louise and then try and score off that. I've seen that work once. And yeah, but to be fair, defensively from set pieces, Arsenal have looked very solid. So I do mm. get some analysis point on focusing on that. Exploit yeah. Oppo's weaknesses. Obviously, I reckon all managers do that. But when you're as pragmatic as Big Sam, that'll be a really uh, point you want to hone in on. And the final third quality, again, you know, we mentioned the players we talked about earlier, your JJ Koches and your Jokoyevs, you know, you need a bit of talent up top, you know, Jermaine Defert, Sunderland, you, you oh, need yeah. something, right? You can't, you can't, often yeah. sides do go down. I remember when Burnley went down the first time under Daesh, you, they often, I know they actually had Ings at that time, but 
you need a bit of creativity. Often these sides go down because they don't have a goal scorer, right? And often, even mm. if you're solid and you 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 you, you the, the game's nil nil, you know you still need to get a few more points to try well, and uh, yeah, Sheffield United, perfect example. Good yeah, side, very good example. Haven't got haven't got a goal scorer, so no, I need that magic in midfield. But yeah, there were seven points, um, which is which is interesting. And I think relegation survival is one of those things in the Premier League which is snuffed at too often, you know, because not mm. many managers win trophies ever. Forget forget whether they win at big clubs. There are loads and loads of brilliant managers. I think what we do sometimes is we say X is a good manager because he's won X number of titles, but there's so many levels to that because there are brilliant, brilliant managers in our time. They'll never win anything. Um, I think Rogers is an excellent coach. I'm not too sure he's won anything. No, because he, the Carling Cup was won by, um, what's that guy called? Michael Laundrup. So, you know, they're fantastic managers all the time. They don't win. And I think we often see relegation as something which is just irrelevant. But it's massive in football. It really is. Mm-hmm. And for the other sides in the league outside the top six, except for, you know, less than that one year, you know, that's something which they have to try and actively avoid. And I think, you know, Big Sam, even though he hasn't got the expansive football and the free-flowing results, he gets the results at the business end of the seasons more often than not. Yeah, definitely. And what I think is really interesting about that blueprint you mentioned is that all of those kind of seven points you mentioned, they can all be proven by data. So he he might go into a football club and these, these, these are such obvious footballing kind of, I don't know, these are such obvious points to say to a player, look, you need to keep clean sheets, you need to do X, Y, Z, say that to the team. But actually, if he goes in and he can prove to them and they're not doing that, they can say, well, yeah, you might think this is obvious, but is it obvious because you're not doing it? And I can prove it with statistical models, or I can prove it with data then that's a really good way of him going in and actually be able to prove from day one that he knows how to basically turn the ship around. And when you've mm. got to think, he's, you've got to go in. And I mean, I think we might discuss it later, or we've discussed it before anyway, offline in the pub probably, about whether or not you know someone like Guardiola could come into West Brom and keep them up. He's got a proven track record of being able to take a losing team who are used to losing and have a losing mentality and turn that around. And I think that's one of the ways in which he does it by using, his, using data and using his blueprint to kind of show, look, I've got a proven, proven history of taking teams like you and turn you around. This is the pro, this is the proof. He might even take. He might even look at his previous clubs and say, "Look, this is what they were doing on day one. This is what they did when I finally kept them up on the last day of the season, like in Sunderland." He might do something like that, and why wouldn't he? Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's a it's a really fascinating point. It's Sunderland as well. I don't think he played direct football. It was quite direct in a sense that he was looking for that forward that forward ball often, which you know, as you mentioned, it adds to the, the blueprint point before. Um, he did look to get it in defeat early, but we actually made a four up top. You couldn't play it long. <laughs> so I don't yeah, think true. playing direct or playing forward often necessarily makes you a long ball style of football. It just means that you are playing the percentages um, and looking to cause a bit of chaos going forward, which often is a long ball, but isn't always. No, I completely agree with you there. Um, you know, we should have a timer or like a like a counter for every time you link uh, some other back to Sunderland. I think it'd be pretty good. Uh, I, think it's only been, I think it's only been like three to three times, which I think is pretty good. <laughs> Mm, not, not sure on that one. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> the issues against Big Sam, uh, or where the fraud kind of tag comes from, um, is whatever angle you look at in football, right? Uh, football, your football needs to be expensive, it needs to be dynamic, it needs to be entertaining. And if not, people that don't conform to that, that style are seen as archaic. And, you know, football's kind of moved on from that. Um, and even closer, I always say this to people all the time, if you play bad football, and you, okay, not bad. If you play unattractive football mm. and you don't win, those managers get sacked. I would say twenty times quicker than a ball-playing manager that's also losing because it's the case of oh well, the football's not bad. Uh, we're just not winning now. Whereas mm. when the football is like pretty long ball, Phil Brown style, 
Um, yeah, you, you, you tend to get a bit more quicker. <laughs> yeah, what well, well, a throwback, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, where is he at now? Wasn't he in India it, coaching? Yeah, he was at South End for a bit. He really plummeted. I mean, I remember the, the players on the pitch at half time at the Etihad Stadium. That was yeah. just a, oh, God. But yeah, I don't know what he's doing now. Massive drop. Yeah, Phil, Phil, Phil Brown, if you're listening, then sorry. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, Big Sam's football style kind of, you know, it's not easy on the eye, but it, it does the job. And I think there kind of lies one of the issues against Big Sam is that there isn't one style that has to be accepted to win. But I think that what Big Sam hasn't really done in his career is adapted his methods or achieved enough with them to manage the biggest side successfully. So what I want to say about that is, can he be seen as a brilliant coach or a fantastic coach if he hasn't managed to use his particular style and manage better teams in the league and propel them up the league, right? So I'm talking yeah. predominantly about his time at Newcastle and Everton. You know, Everton, were, I think it was just when they started to get quite a bit of money in. And Newcastle is obviously with a lot of history and it's a bit of a poison chalice. But both of those clubs wanted, okay, this this guy gets results. Can he get results for us to push us towards Europe, which is what both teams at the time wanted to try and achieve. Yeah. And he hasn't been able to do it because I think it's very easy trying to be West Brom and Crystal Palace and try and stifle Arsenal. It gets to a point when you manage clubs like Everton and Newcastle where you need to challenge Arsenal or Man United or Chelsea. I'm not saying challenge in terms of, oh, I want you to go away to Old Trafford and win 9-0. <laughs> But you expect a bit more. And, and even more so when you play teams at the lower end. You know, when you're at Newcastle or Everton, they don't expect you to start sitting deep against, I don't know, uh, you know, Sheffield United away. They want you yeah. to, you, to to be progressive. Yeah, they exactly, want you to yeah. attack. And I think Big Sam hasn't really tinkered his style enough throughout his career to be able to do that. I think those two teams represented an opportunity to really adopt his methods and propel them. But, you know, I think what it really highlighted to me, those jobs in particular, West Ham as well, to a degree as well, is it highlighted a coach that was good at what he does. But when you move into the higher echelons of the league, kind of struggled. Yeah, I think it's about going from playing on the back front, playing on the back foot and then breaking to play on the front foot which uh, you need to do, as you mentioned, when you go to be a club, because you are actually then going to start playing against teams that are playing, playing for a draw or are going to be um, parking the bus. When you're a Sunderland manager, a Crystal Palace manager, fighting relegation, you rarely play against. Even if you're like a team that's 16th, the team who's in 19th you're playing against is still going to try and beat you because if they don't try and beat the teams that are in 16th, they're going to get relegated. <laughs> they can't park the bus against every team that's above them. So um, the only team, I mean, the only team you can say that he's grown is Bolton because he got them promoted and then they grew into what was quite a good, quite a good side. So he must have been playing the front foot a lot, the front foot a lot then, because they were obviously winning a lot of football games. And they would have had to done had to have done that in the in the old first division. Like if he goes down with West Brom, uh, and he stays with them to get promoted, he's then going to have to be suddenly managing a team that's the, the top one of the top five teams in the division or about top two if he's going to get automatics. Um, and so then he has to be playing on the front foot. He's been playing against teams that are going to be parked on the bus. Um, so then he has to break them down. So I think that'll be a true test when he goes up there. Um, but it's not since Bolton, not since he took them to the UEFA Cup round of round of 32 as well in 2005 or six season. Um, not since then has he really seemingly um, produced a team that can actually go forward, score goals and really uh, break teams down. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's just, it's just one of those, isn't it, where you kind of need Big Sam to do a little bit more and you know at 66 now which is mm. his age i've just plucked the number out of nowhere you kind of think <laughs> where he, he's running out of time to do that and that's kind of why i'm moving on to next which is what next for him mm, yeah. now he kind of championed his methods uh, hailing you know and hailed him keeping sides up 
Um, but in football circles, he's a firefighter manager, right? And, you know, will this relegate, when he gets his relegation with West Brom, what highly likely to, that'll affect him. You know, there's not many coaches at his age coaching top flight football, hold tight Roy Hodgson. Um, but apart from <laughs> that, there's not too many. So are we seeing the end of his time in top flight? Which I think is quite a valid point. I think Daniel Fark has highlighted, there's been managers before, you know, Sean Dyche is another example, but Daniel Fark in particular, um, of, of late where clubs are seeing people go down and get relegated but if they keep hold of their stars and they can get promoted pretty quickly you know and I think the firefighter title you know your big Sams your Tony Pulis's beforehand uh, is football kind of moving on from them and you know if mm. big Sam gets relegation now with, with West Brom we look at his career and we say okay you didn't work out West Ham, didn't work out Everton, didn't work out Newcastle. All of the positive teams have been sides that normally are fighting relegation. Do we actually need him? Are we more bene- are we, do we benefit more by keeping someone like Daniel Fark? We accept the relegation, but we get propelled up, you know, in the next year or so. Because otherwise, with Big Sam is, okay, we're now 12th. We're, we're solidly a Premier League team. You have to sack him anyway and try and roll the die and yeah. get a more continental-style uh, manager. And the problem with that is you kind of start all over again. You know, if you go from Big Sam to, let's say, uh, an old school, um, I don't know, Sari, for example, it's going to take ages. And you could get relegated in the process because you're trying to change the complete style of how you play football whilst also trying not to get relegated. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the safe choice to an extent. Mm. Um, Because as you said, what happens when they then get promoted again and then it falters? I mean... It is. I think it's a positive thing for clubs. I mentioned it before to keep their managers, and it's often been successful. It was successful for Dice. It was successful for uh, Rafael Benitez at Newcastle. Scott Parker is a good example of a coach that was brought in mid-term, just how Al Dice has been. Has got relegated and then came straight back up. I mean, ironically, there Scott Parker is likely to then, or <laughs> is on the verge of getting relegated again with with Fulham. Um, but it looks like he might stay there and they might come back up again. Because when you keep that manager, that manager's already been in the club for a short amount of time. Mm. He might already have history of actually getting you promoted. So you, <laughs> so you actually that's logical, right? To keep a manager that's already got you promoted before, um, keep him as the manager because he might be able to do that again. That's not the case with Allardyce, and it'll be interesting to see with Allardyce because he hasn't managed that level since West Ham. But he did get West Ham promoted, um, and did you know in there in West Ham's history the last 10, 15 years. He is still a key part of that because they were in the championship. They were, yeah. they were. He got them promoted. He got them safe and he established them as a, a decent Premier League team. A lot of fans didn't like Aldice at West Ham because the football. He didn't manage to grow that team like we kind of mentioned before. He didn't manage to do at West Ham, or perhaps he did it Bolton. But West Ham, like Newcastle and Everton, really they have expectations that, to an extent, there's a bold comment, but are kind of almost bigger than what they are. Um, in modern football, yeah, I think some fans are more entitled than others because of history or you know times gone by. I, I agree. I think West Brom mm. would just be happy as long as they're in the top flight. I think obviously the episode of the pod is discussing whether Sam Allardyce is a fraud or a genius. I think fraud mm. is harsh, but um, you know it, it's kind of it's hard to kind of answer it, isn't it? Because in many ways, I think he's really innovative, and there's there's parts of his game which are heavily underrated and that should be championed. I do yeah. think there is a expiry date on managers, though. Uh, I, I always say to you, it's 10 years, and managers are normally at the top. And I, I wonder if his actual style of football has moved has moved on in, in terms of not, you can't play long ball to be successful, many sides do, but whether the methods that Big Sam is using are now a bit dated and, you know, people, other teams have maybe adopted it better than he has. And with his tag that he now has as a relegation specialist, should he lose that with West Brom? 
it's kind of, you know, what do we kind of take, when we take a step back, what do we see Big Sam Maladice as? I mean, personally, I see him as a coach who's very talented, um, but it's probably past his best. I wouldn't go as far as saying he's a genius, but I would definitely say he was an innovative coach uh, with with a good reputation. But I, I think now he's kind of, you know, past uh, his, his best days, really. I'm not too sure. Because, you know, as I said, at 66, you know, he's soon to be 70. I can't really see. I, I have a feeling there may be one more job after this at West Brom. And I don't think we'll see Big Sam coaching for too much longer. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. To be fair, I mean, he's, he really is getting in. He's not getting on. He's not a um, spring chicken. But what I think's interesting is what what is defined as aesthetic football or, or good football, because we view good football as in inverted commas or attractive football as innovative because people are doing things or coaches and teams are doing things that perhaps other teams have not done before. Um, just the way that Klopp burst in the scene with the, the game pressing, um, which is seen as attractive because high high intensity and creates a lot of goals. Um, but actually, a data-driven approach, an analysis-based approach to football in terms of exploiting weaknesses and identifying areas of the pitch in which you can get a gain and advantage is not a means of playing what we view as attractive football, is it? You know, <laughs> knocking the ball from side to side and playing attractive football and beautiful through balls and Raboners, Raboner crosses and then, you know, Benzema overhead kick. That's attractive football as we view it. Yeah. But, using data and using analysis to identify a weakness in a wing, a fullback, and then literally cadian attacks down that wing to then exploit that and get goals from it is not attractive football, but data is seen as innovative and so is analysis. So what, what, what is the, the win? I mean, they can be used in tandem, but I don't think Aldice gets the credit he deserves. I mean, that kind of Mourinho style of almost reactive manager, um, but it doesn't often lend itself to, to growing football clubs because you, at some point, you need your own identity to, to build and to attract players, and, and so so I'm I'm kind of on the fence because I actually have got a lot of time for Aldice. But as you said, he's no spring chicken. The football at West Ham wasn't great and hasn't been good at many clubs. Didn't do well at Everton. Um, I think he would do well at West Brom. I think he'd arguably get them back up. But it's just that long term vision for West Brom. Exactly. They see themselves. So there's two things I kind of wanted to round up with: is how many times have you said spring chicken? Uh, and also the second one would be how many times have you linked Allardyce to Sunderland? I reckon the Sunderland and Allardyce tag has been used maybe 10 times. Spring chicken is only towards the end of it, to be fair. <laughs> really I, don't, using it. I don't actually fully understand what the term spring chicken means. I mean, I assume it's just because <laughs> the, the chickens t- tend to hatch in the spring. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. That's a question for next week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm talking about our, we're talking about archaic football managers, but I'm just using cliches. I'm like Steve Bruce. <laughs> behind the mic and I love Steve Bruce as well even though I'm a Sunderland fan uh, <laughs> but yeah and the Sunderland links as well I mean he did so well mate he kept us up but then look what happened <laughs> so that was that was a good uh, that was a good time we'll spend all this um, but yeah uh, so I think we'll wrap up on that note uh, Ches, thank you so much for the uh, analysis insight on um, Aldisio himself <laughs> um, we'll find out in the very near future um, what his fate will be whether or not he'll stay uh, would not he'll even be kept on at West Brom if they do go down. Looks like they probably will. They're facing Arsenal soon though, so hope is is still there. Um given the uh, <laughs> given what's going on at that football club. Um yeah, but yeah th- <laughs> but yeah thank you all for, for listening this week and um we'll see you next time. Cheers guys.